My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. Marion McKeown, you're back in Ireland, fresh off the plane. You're going to squeeze in a chat with us here before you hit the hay. But you have been busy. Whether you're flying around the place to see Rupert Murdoch get his butt handed to him on a plate in Delaware. (laughs) What's been the highlight of the past week outside of the NRA convention and watching Mike Pence being booed when he was trying to please the crowd? (laughs) Well, first of all, I can tell you I'm anything but fresh off a plane. I'm I'm, I'm off a plane because I'm feeling (laughs) very (laughs) bewildered at anything but fresh. Yeah, it's been a kind of like this is the, you know, it's part of the job and it's the part I love actually when you just travel around and but it does involve thousands and thousands of miles in very short spaces of times and thousands and thousands of crazy people in very yeah. short spaces of time as well. The NRA convention was last weekend. Now it was very interesting to me in that usually CPAC is regarded as the starting shot for the primaries, you know, for the Republican primary. Everyone goes to CPAC and they lay out their pitch, etc. etc. But CPAC is now a Donald Trump company. It's effectively part of the Trump organization. So they didn't turn up this year, but they all turned up at the NRA. So nine of the 13 people who were allegedly running for president are considering it or dipping a toe in the water all turned up at the NRA to set out their stalls there. Because if you... If you're a Republican, you really need the NRA endorsement because there's not just a truckload of cash in it. The NRA claims that it has five million members and that if it tells them who to vote, they will vote accordingly. So it's a big chunk of it's a big chunk of change, but it's also a big chunk of votes potentially. And conversely, if the NRA doesn't endorse you as a Republican, you're not going to be at the races because that has a ripple effect through the states and other various things. So the NRA convention, let me see, where to start, where to start? Well, how's about Mike Pence? I mean... You're loving this one, aren't you? I really am. (laughs) Well, do you know, honestly, it was kind of, it was the only time he almost... He's from Indianapolis. He's like, he goes, I, in fact, I met an old guy there who told me a very funny story about Mike Pence, who worships at the same church as him, as a big super church outside Indianapolis. So the guy is from the neighborhood. He's a local guy. So for him to turn up in Indianapolis, in Indiana, which he was the governor of and was a congressman for as well, and to be booed was kind of shocking. I mean, really, because this, again, as I said, he's Mr. Home Down Home Guy. Mm. And 
the reason he was being booed, let us not forget, the only reason he was being booed was because of January 6th, which really suggests, and unlike CPAC, this was packed. There were thousands of people at the NRA convention. It suggests that everyone there, or a good part of them, believed that he was a traitor, that he should have overthrown the election on January 6th. I mean, the guy, apart from that, there's no reason to boo him. I mean, you don't get booed for being bland and boring and spineless, usually. <laughs> so it, and I, you could see he was taken aback. And his re, his response where he went, oh, I love you too. You know, <laughs> the, yeah. the guy couldn't deliver a joke or a quip if his life depended on it. And then the weird thing was, because he went on then, and you could see him trying to get them to like him and trying to get him on side. And it was only when he called for, and again, the ridiculousness of it, he called for the immediate execution of mass killers. And then the crowd cheered. And that was when, that was his big applause line. And it was so ridiculous and so fu- just a pander because... And, Apart from anything else, most mass shooters actually are either killed by police at the site of the shooting or they kill themselves. Exactly. You know, not, not that many. So even the suggestion of this was so hollow. And yeah. You just, Mike Pence trying to sound tough. It really kind of pathetic. There wasn't Asa Hutchinson. He's a, the Arkansas governor who fancies himself as a future president. Not in 2024. He won't be if the NRA response is anything to go by. Oh, my God. Worse than booing, I think, sometimes is just silence. You know, I mean, at oh. least if you're booed, you're getting oh, a reaction. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he completely. just got, like, he came out and he, one of the more amusing things was, we've spoken about Mike Pompeo before and his enormous ego. And I've been told by so many people, Mike Pompeo has been running for president since he enrolled in West Point Academy 40 years ago. That this guy always sees himself as the top guy in every situation. And so a couple of the people who didn't make it, him and Nikki Haley, they probably because they got such a shoddy reception at CPAC, they decided to just send video messages. Now, Nikki Haley's was all wordy and earnest and boring. And Mike Pompeo just said, yeah, hi, NRA. Yeah, OK, wish I could be there. Like that, that blamed. The, mm. the, and then about an hour later, he said, oh, I'm pulling out of the race anyway. So it was clear that he, like judging by the message, I thought, I actually thought, he's, he's not running. He's not running. He can't be running with this because just the box ticking. And then Asa Hutchinson came on afterwards and said, oh, I've turned up in person. I'm not one of those politicians who just ticks a box. And he mentioned as a joke. And now I don't know if one of your jokes has ever been met in your career, Charles, with just silence. Uh, (laughs) No, usually when I run them by Tina, she'll say to me, and did they, yeah, Tina will go, and did they laugh at that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but the, you know, at least you have you have somebody to try out your material on beforehand. Clearly, Hutchinson has no such person. And then he tried another joke, and there was more silence. The hit of the convention, apart from Donald Trump, was Christy Nome. Okay, Christy Nome, they love Christy Nome. Christy Nome is the governor of South Dakota. She was just elected to a second term. She looks like a cross between Melania Trump and Kimberly Guilfoyle. She's She is a real housewife of Mar-a-Lago to her fingertips, except for she's also a bit of a rodeo queen. There's a bit of Sarah Palin in there as well. But she got up on stage and she... Um, 
where to begin? Okay, but she you she told everybody how her she has two granddaughters now. She had a colossal amount of now people may say it's not fair to say this, but she came on stage and she had had so much work done to her face that people beside me and around me were going what's happened like and she's a very striking woman a very attractive woman but she somebody went at her very heavy with the fillers beforehand so that she looked a little sort of almost strange but she started talking in a way that was also very strange telling the audience that her two-year-old daughter who's not granddaughter who's not quite two yet already has a gun and a rifle and so she's all set and she also has a pony too this is a child, a girl who hasn't yet turned two. But then the bit that fascinated me was she started to talk about, you know, this kind of they all do this when they have an eye in the presidency. Now, I don't think she has an eye in the presidency. I think she has an eye on being Donald Trump's vice president. And I know I've said that to you before mm. several times. And I think she would be a shoe in because she talk about ticking all the boxes. Anyway, she starts off and she's telling this story about her childhood and how when she was 10 years of age, she and her dad were going out for an overnight camp in the mountains or the forest or whatever. And they were about halfway there and she was on her pony and he was on his horse when he said to her, it had just gotten dark. He said, oh, I've got to turn back. You go on ahead and go to the campsite on your own and set up camp. Now, bear in mind, she's a 10-year-old girl in the wilderness on her own at this stage. And he sends her off and says, off you go, you know, basically the tough love. So anyway, she then said that when she got back home the next day, her mother told her that her father had secretly been behind her all the way, tracking her, obviously thinking it was fine to send it. Presumably she was terrified. But then she said the audience all went, ah, like because they took this as a tale of, you know, that daddy really did care. And then mm. she said, yeah, but before you get too soft on him, he also the whole way made bear scraping sounds and bear growling noises. And they, yeah. <laughs> and then she goes, but my dad made me what I am. And what she is is frigging bonkers. You know, that's... <laughs> How, how do you I, like apart from the unhingedness of this story like yeah. how else does the bonkersness present itself she was in ways that the republican party and the nra find very gratifying she you may remember during covid every year in south dakota in a town called sturgis they have the biggest hell's angel biker rally in america this is a small little town it's near mount rushmore at the foot of it and about there are about 28,000 people living in the town and its vicinity, 250,000 bikers cram into the town for four or five days at a week, a week. I think it's, is it May or June? Anyway, it's an early summer weekend. And during COVID, she refused to cancel the rally. So in the middle of COVID, 250,000 bikers and came and they partied and they drank in the streets, they brawled in the streets and they attended jam-packed concerts with sounds like Kid Rock, who was like, good on you, Christy, don't close down South Dakota. And it turned out to be one of the single biggest super, super spreader events of the entire pandemic because this 250,000 people didn't all stay put together. They went home to their homes all over the states in all 50 states, in all counties, in all towns, cities and rural areas. And they brought the virus back with them. But this has made her a hero 
with the, the Republicans what? and with the NRA because she never slows down. She's the only governor who never slows her. Like, she didn't lock down anything at any point. She kept it all open. Now, South Dakota is pretty well empty as states go anyway. I mean, I've been there several times. It's, there aren't that many people there. But, however, not. it's one thing to have a small state that's not very densely populated and to say, oh, just carry on. But to invite in a quarter of a million people from out side, cram them all into one area at the peak of COVID. It's just, it's just so irresponsible. But mm. anyway, she was up, that, that's one of her things that she boasts about. That's one of her big things. The other is that she has basically, if you want a gun in any kind of a gun in South Dakota, it has the most liberal laws. And she walked on stage and she signed an executive order in this flurry of showmanship and where she, she said that South Dakota, the, the state will not do business with any bank or any financial institution that refuses to work with the gun industry. So, you know, a lot of American corporations now and financial institutions, they have corporate social responsibility and they don't want to be dealing with gun makers and gun manufacturers and giving them loans, giving them money, because who knows, legally, it could come down back to bite them in the rear at some point. Anyway, any of those financial companies are now going to be banned from getting any business or contracts with South Dakota. But this was all, so she came on and she signed the executive order in a big flurry and again it's all showmanship but the audience loved her it sort of reminded me of how they used to respond to Sarah Palin because she is that kind of rodeo queen and she's all flirty and she's all but she panders to men like she's you know she's a hunting shooting gal but very much in the patriarchal structure you know what I mean and and I think this is why the crowds like her so much but uh, so that she was a big she hit was the and talk then of, of the town of course the yeah, talk of the done. town on came Trump then as well yeah. so he and, follow um, does he follow her like I don't know how the structure of this works well, is he uh, they, they, is this they the all lineup? come out it's literally almost like a beauty pageant and though he a guy called Vivek Raswamy, and I know I'm saying his name wrong now. He's a 37-year-old entrepreneur. His parents immigrated from India, and he is to the hard right. And he's suggesting that, you know, vote for me. And he's running for president, and he said he's going to shut down the Department of Education first thing. And with that $85 billion he saves every year, he's going to put three armed guards in every school in America. And that, you Good can man. imagine the place erupted oh. with cheers at that. This was the best idea. Why did nobody think <laughs> more, of beforehand? More guns. You know, yeah. yeah. So this is the level, like you shut down the Department of Education and instead then you pay people to stand around schools with guns. I mean, it's that, but that is, it was interesting because, you know, like in the past couple of weeks, there's been one mass shooting after another that was Nashville. There were, and there've been other shootings that have been really disturbing that we probably talk about as well. And but nothing there. The, the NRA has become unmeasurably, in my view, because the first time I attended an NRA convention was probably about twenty years ago. It's become measurably more extreme and more defensive, and to the point where Wayne Lapierre was saying, "We want politicians to be terrified of us, to be terrified of our power. We want them to be thinking last thing at night when they go to bed, you know, about how we can destroy their careers if they don't do our bidding." Now, he the last time I saw him was at a private thing where he boasted about having the Supreme Court that they finally wanted. They finally got it under Trump, and again, he's. He has 
fleece the NRA for tens of millions of dollars. The mismanagement has been colossal, but they don't care really about his mismanagement because he has got them everything he wants. And there are 28 states now in America that have these laws that are called constitutional carry laws where... um, Basically, you can just you can just have a gun. You don't have to do anything. You can have as many guns as you want, as many kinds of guns as you want. Once you're over eighteen, you don't have to do. You know what I mean? It's it's a free for all. And twenty eight states have versions of that law now, which he's calling a huge victory. So he was really just sort of. Basically, he blamed the media for the mass shootings. He said if the media didn't glorify these people and give them all this airtime, that then there wouldn't be mass shootings. So ideally, of course, for the NRA, if there were a media blackout and no mass shootings were ever reported or no gun violence was reported, it would, of course, suit the NRA down to the ground. And so hence his attack on, you know, because why not blame the media? and for creating these mass shooters because obviously it can't be the NRA that's doing it. So I noticed really just a far more, the NRA used to be a sort of a lobbying group. Now it's like, honestly, it's like the armed wing of the Republican Party. And I went to one side session and it really kind of chilled me a bit, Charlotte, because it was this a couple of local state senators. One of them was Eric um, Cook. He's one of the Cook family, the billionaires, a distant relative, but very wealthy himself. And he was speaking with a couple of, you know, again, local guys who were talking about clamping down the media. And they were talking about what would happen if assault weapons were taken pretty well or if the government made moves. And he said quite firmly that we have... Three million, we have a standing army of three million armed people. Three million, basically, and that the government would be terrified to move against them. And then he said, we pray it doesn't come to that, but if it does, we're ready. Basically, we're locked and loaded. And, you know, this is, and it is, it's this sort of, and we've spoken about this before so many times that there's almost a casual approach now to talking about civil war, to talking about violence in America. It's not shocking anymore. It's almost like, yeah, well, we hope it doesn't come to it. But and to me, the degree to which that needle has moved is terrifying. And the other terrifying thing to me was, again, the NRA used to be, it was always about the expanding guns and guns for everyone. But it used to be more focused on things like marksmanship gun Mm. safety training, stuff like that. Now it's just, as I said, it's the armed wing of MAGA. And they have this thing where it's 14 acres of guns. So you go in there and it's a... Apart from the... Where they have the meetings and the sessions and all that, you have this vast, vast space that's just full of everything to do with guns. But usually before, it used to be things like they'd have taxidermists for the hunters. So you could go and order your rifle at one stall and then you go and organized to bring your, you know, you'd have taxidermists there competing for business. So when you went out shooting and hunting, they'd be the guys you'd send your Hmm. dead animals to, basically. And there was always this kind of thing as well and sort of quirky stuff. This time round, there used to be, for the first couple of conventions I went to, there were no assault weapons at all because they were banned until 2005 when, when George W. Bush undid the Clinton ban. This year, for the first time, almost the whole I would say 70, 80% of the entire 14 acres was assault weapons. It was nothing, almost nothing else. And nobody was going for the couple of little stands on the side, like there was one taxidermist. There was a guy who was offering 
safaris, hunting safaris for people, for hunters to go to South Africa for $350 each. I don't know how, I don't know how they're managing that. But even that stall was completely ignored. The stalls, even with rifles and traditional handguns, had, didn't have that many people, but they were lining up to try out the latest assault weapon. There were people queuing up to have a go, to point it, to feel how it worked, to just look macho with it, I thought. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was really pretty chilling. And also, there were a lot of families there. There were a lot of small children. There were a lot of... I I saw a little four-year-old who was standing beside me. He put his hand in and grabbed a pistol, a pink and black pistol, a little handgun. And the speed he grabbed it at was kind of shocking. And I looked and his dad said, oh, it's okay. He knows how to shoot guns better than I do. I'm like, I'm sorry. How's that reassuring? You know, it's like you just... So, so, it, so you watched the change take place here. I mean, this yeah. is really interesting that you've been there yeah. going to the first one you said you went to 20 years ago. So the change yeah. that you're witnessing is this surge of interest in the assault. Yeah. yeah. In the yeah. assault, in the more extreme guns and the, yeah. the, the militancy of the group. Yeah, absolutely. And as I say, to me, like that eight, and I spoke to a few people about this. I said, it's all just assault weapons this year. And they said, well, that's what people want. They said, that's that's where the interest is. And we spoke before, I think, about how when Clinton banned wep- assault weapons, there were only about 100,000 of them in private hands in America. Mm. Now there's well over 20 million. But now in America, the demand is such that one in every four guns that's manufactured and sold now is an assault weapon. And that's pretty terrifying. And when you see the scale of it at an event like this, you know, you're talking the equivalent of fields and fields just full of assault weapons and thousands of people milling around. And, you know, like just, it's almost a fetish. I would would say it's more like a car show in that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's about the souped up vehicles. Rather than exactly. just, you know, yeah. careful, considered yeah, the, driving. The, this four-door saloon, you know, well, I mean, but it's, but even, you know, the, as I say, the rifles, the stuff before that people, the craftsmanship of guns, and I could kind of understand that. I remember going before and talking to people who had restored and refurbished guns from World War One or whatever, and they had them on display. And now, as I say, that this, that that sort of almost craft aspect, the sort of the gun nerd, if you will, there's none of that. It's about how many bullets it can fire, how fast, how, you know, Mm. and it is disturbing. But there was also another more slightly amusing side. The NRA is basically, it used to also double as a speed dating venue. So there'd be three days of a lot of women would go and they'd be young girls, and well, not young girls, like women in their early 20s, 30s, whatever, and they'd be all dressed up in the sparkles and the spangles and the teased hair And because there were so many guys there. It literally used to be like, you'd see them in the bars afterwards, talk about speed dating and shotgun weddings or whatever afterwards, but it was known as a kind of a, you know, like it it had a second purpose, which was finding your guy. And these women used to call themselves bullet bunnies. So, but this year I was talking to a few of the bullet bunnies and there's some very funny, some of them, but they were really ticked off because they arrived at all the glam, but they said that now, you know, A, there are now as many women turning up and there were a lot of women this year. The NRA has a lot more women members. So, you know, the gender inequality is gone, but also they said the men are now 
how dare they bringing their wives and girlfriends and families. So there's no fun for the bullet bunnies. They're not, they're not getting their mark anymore. So they were getting roaring drunk instead and cycling around town in these contraptions. So it was basically like six tandems tied together with a keg and a, a, a table on top. So you can imagine the chaos that was causing. And um, the whole, the whole, and you know what? The thing is, I say it in September, but so many people there were so friendly and good humoured. And Indianapolis is really a lovely town in a lot of ways. But I will tell you one last story because it did make me laugh. I met an old guy called Dennis Lonergan and he's been volunteering at NRA events for oh he told me about 50 years or something anyway he knows Mike Pence because Mike Pence worships in the same church as Dennis and his wife and he said mm. the first time day after Mike Pence became vice president he came back like on his first trip back to go to his church but before he could go into the church because he now was vice president the secret service came in and they said hands up anyone in here who has a gun and so this guy says every single person in no. the church, and this was no. a super church, put their hand up. He said every single person. He said even the preacher, even the pastor no. put his hand up and said, yeah, I'm packing. The Jesus <laughs> and then he said the guy who was in charge of the music, who was up in the gallery, had an assault weapon and two handguns. So, and oh. this, this is for church on a yeah. Sunday morning. So anyway... Apparently, the Secret Service just said, well, what can we do? Pence wanted to come in. They couldn't possibly physically take every gun from every person, catalogue it, identify it, and then hand them all back afterwards because there were so many people there. So basically, they went in with Pence and stood on each side of him with their guns as well. And then two guys went up and stood with the guy who had the assault weapons up in the, up, up in the gallery part. And he just... But he was telling me this just as a like a, a kind of a cute little story. And then I said, well, why was everyone bring their guns to church on a Sunday? I said, what? Like, and, he, and he said, he just looked at me and said, because it's our goddamn right to do so. Yeah. And, uh, and in so many a, ways, that story. is the outcome. Like, yeah. that, is, like yeah. that is the outcome. Everybody with a gun and everybody yeah. in the same way, everybody with a mobile phone. Yep. That seems to be, is that the goal? Is that the, the other side of this fence? Well, yeah, and I think the only difference, and it's a really good analogy, is that people don't have 15 different mobile phones or 34 different mobile phones or, or you know, they don't have a Samsung and a, and four different types of mm. iPhones. It's because... But they, like, but they do have an iPad and a laptop and, this is you true. know, an yeah. Apple TV. Yeah. A C, yeah, uh, this uh, is true. It, yeah, like it's just it's very hard to 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 kind of do episode after episode with you where we go, what is this all about? And when is it going to change when we it's always arrive at the change. same conclusion? Yeah, that it's never going to change, but it's actually more and interesting to burrow into, well, what is it they'd like? And it seems like a super church full of people with everybody with a gun. Is it? Yeah, that well, that is what the NRA wants absolutely unfettered access to guns and as many guns as you want in you know and to be able to take them anywhere you want as well that is their ultimate goal and they are getting there they've had a lot of they had a couple of years in 2019-2020 where they were practically busted Letitia James was investigating them now she still is although she did lose one part for her case but they 
they don't care because they've had so many significant legislative victories and they really are pushing. The whole gun thing is not going backwards, even though public opinion is now much more in favour of gun checks and gun control. In fact, the legislation is going in the opposite direction and it's becoming looser and looser. As I said, they were boasting about 28 states now where you can carry a gun, you concealed carry, constitutional carry, you don't have to have a weapon, you don't have to have a permit. And the expansion of these, what they call castle laws, which is where as tragically and appallingly happened in Missouri with the young 16-year-old boy who was shot by these sort of stand-your-ground laws that if you decide someone looks suspicious, you have the right to shoot first and ask questions later. And, you know, that's what they're also after. So it's a... I mean, to me, I used to, I think the phones is a really good analogy. I used to equate it with cars because it, they look at you with the same bewilderment when you, it's like, and people, so many people have said to me, you know, who are gun pro guns, well, people k- get killed with cars all the time. I don't see you trying to take people's cars away. And, mm-hmm. and it, they really see it as being the same analogy. And the fact that more children are now killed through guns, gun violence, accidents than any other thing in America, more than car accidents, more than anything. It's just not spoken about. And if you bring it up, it's the media is just making this up, etc., etc. But to me, the single most chilling thing was Eric Cope, that senator, basically saying there's nothing the government's going to do because we've got the biggest standing army in the world. We've got three million armed people on our soil. And that is why really when they keep calling for these assault weapon bans it's never going to happen mm. well Marion we've so much more to get into as always over we on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad you can enjoy double size episodes of Marion and Sonia each week with this settlement to talk about we've been following the Murdoch yep. Dominion case and right to its conclusion here we are have the happiest lawyers in the history of lawyering you think Lionel Hutz is happy when he gets a settlement this these smiles I don't know if they'll ever come off these faces we're going to talk all about what this means and what other settlements might be coming down the track that this isn't the end for Fox on this by any means Marion was there. She's got all the details. We'll talk about that and we'll round up all the rest of the news from the States over on patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.